you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. This is Alan Griffith. Welcome to episode 100 of By the Book. We are talking about having impact on the world, impact on the age in which we live. Uh, We're not going to change it, but we need to have impact for the cause of Christ. We need to stand for righteousness. We need to see people saved. We need to do everything we can. And what that boils down to, if we're going to be uh, usable, is that we have to surrender all to the Lord. We have to give our life over to him, present our bodies a living sacrifice in order to be and to become what God wants us to be. Uh, Many Christians have never done that. If you've never done it, you need to do it. You need to do it today. And then we're in Romans 12, talking about this issue. And then we find uh, this very simply, uh, if we're going to have impact on the world, uh, impact on people, we cannot be like them. We are not supposed to be conformed to this age, the Bible says. And the church has lost its way. Believers have lost their way. They got the idea that the way you win people is to be to be like them, to let the standards down, to not be different. Well, that's entirely wrong and totally opposite of what the Bible teaches. But one of the things that has to happen is that if we're going to have impact on people for Christ, then there needs to be a a transformation, a change in us. We need to become everything that God wants us to be. And that's really what we've been talking about and talked about last time in verse 2 of Romans 12. And if you have your Bible, I hope you'd open up to that and we'll pick up. Verse 2 says this, be not conformed to this world. Don't be pushed into the mold of this age. God saved you. You're different. Live differently. But then Paul said, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then there's a purpose for that, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I are called upon to experience a transformation. And last time we talked about the transformation of Christ, the term here in Romans 2 that is translated transformed is the term that is translated transfigured in the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to put what happened to him in simple terms, the reality of what Christ was on the inside, he was God in the flesh, was put on display on the outside. Peter, Paul, James, excuse me, Peter, John, James saw the glory of Christ. They saw the inner reality of Christ put on display outwardly. That's what's supposed to happen in our life. When we get saved, we are born again. We are new creatures in Christ. We have a relationship with God. Our life has changed on the inside dramatically. We are supposed to demonstrate that on the outside. So Paul puts it this way, that we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What's that mean? What's Paul talking about? How does that happen? 
Well, I want to direct you, and please hold your place in Romans 12 if, if you're there, but I want to direct you to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul is talking about uh, this issue. He's in a discussion really about the Jews and how they were lost and, and uh, how their hearts needed to turn to the Lord, uh, but uh, uh, the Old Testament was, was veiled to them. They didn't see the truth of Christ. And in that discussion, Paul says in verse 18, but we, so now he's, he's turning to us, but we all with open face, that means uh, an, an unveiled face, the, the veil of unbelief is taken away. He says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What's that mean? What's that mean to you and to me? What's supposed to be happening here? Let's look at it. Paul says, but we all with open face, unveiled face. Again, no veil covering our eyes. We can see this. With open face, we behold something. We behold the glory of the Lord. But it says, we behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What's the glass? What, what's this mean? Well, we get help, a lot of help, if we go back to James chapter 1, and you can turn if you have the opportunity. But in James 1, you'll remember the discussion about the difference between being a doer of the word and a hearer of the word. And in verse 22, James says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A lot of that goes on every Lord's Day. People come in, they hear the word of God, but they don't go out and do it. Verse 23, If any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. What is that term glass? What is the glass in James 1? Well, it's the word of God. And the warning here is somebody might be a hearer of the word of God, not a doer of the word of God. And when that's the way he lives, He's like a man who is beholding his natural face in a glass. He's looking, as it were, in a mirror. Now, when you look into a mirror, it will reflect back to you yourself. And I always like to put it this way, it will show you what needs attention. Sometimes you look at people and say, did that guy look in the mirror before he left the house today? because there's some stuff that needs attention. He didn't do anything about it. Well, that's the warning here of James. 
using the Bible, the scriptures, as a glass or a mirror. And he talks about a man who beholds his face in the glass, in the mirror, but then after he beholds himself, he he turns away and he forgets what manner of man he was, and he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't change. Well, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But we, we all, with open face, able to see clearly, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. What's the glass? The scriptures. Paul says, we behold the scriptures, or and in the scriptures, we see the glory of the Lord. So we study the scripture, and there we find the, the glory of God. And then he says, when we do that, we are changed. Now take notice of the term changed, because the term changed in 2 Corinthians 3.18 is the same word as transformed back in Romans chapter 12. He said in Romans 12.2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I get transformed? How does that happen? 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding as in a glass. We're looking in the scriptures. We are seeing the glory of the Lord in the scriptures. We're seeing his truth in the scriptures, and we are thereby changed. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. His glory made available to us, as it were, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when Romans 12 tells me that I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, how does that happen? Well, it happens through the Scriptures. So here I am, I say, okay, I want to present my body to the Lord. That's what we've been talking about. I want to present my body to the Lord. Lord, here's my life. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I don't want to be conformed to this age. I want to be different. I want to be separate. I want to live for you. And here's what Paul says. He says, well, this is what needs to happen. You're going to give your life to the Lord. You're going to sacrifice your body to the Lord. Well, you need to be transformed. How do I get transformed? You get into the scriptures, and in the scripture you see the glory of the Lord, and as you see that and as you study that, you will be transformed. You will be renewed. You will be changed. What will happen? It will be the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12 too. Be transformed. The work is the work of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. 
to the point where we will have a renewing of our mind. What's our mind? Well, in this case, the emphasis is on our thinking. A lot of people don't think right. They don't think right about themselves. They don't think right about God. They don't think right about the world. How do I get my thinking right? I get my thinking right by getting into the scriptures and the Spirit of God working a work of transformation, renewing, changing the way I think. Now I'm thinking right about my life and about serving God. I'm thinking right about this this world that I live in. And then when I do that, then verse 2 goes on and says, here's the purpose that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, what's that all about? Well, here I come to the Lord, saved. And I say, Lord, I want to present my body to you, a living sacrifice. It's going to be holy. It's going to be pleasing to you. And I realize doing this is the reasonable thing, the most logical thing I can do as a born-again Christian who is here for only a short time, but then I'm going to go to heaven and eventually to the new earth. It is logical to surrender this brief life to you now and to not be conformed to this world, to not live like this world, but rather what? rather to undergo a transformation of my life, of my thinking, letting God change me, letting the Spirit of God change me through the Scriptures. And as my thinking changes and I come to understanding things the way they ought to be understood, then I can prove, I can test and find out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, why am I here anyway? I want to give you my life. I want to surrender to you completely, but I need to know what to do. I need to know how to live. How do I do that? I turn away from the world. I turn to God. I turn to the scriptures. I get this this transforming experience. I become more and more what God wants me to be. I'm thinking the way I ought to think. I'm living the way I ought to live. And there in that condition, that spiritual condition, I can now test, prove, find out what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, there are times when people will ask me to pray for them. Uh, that they might know the will of God. And often it's a, a, a particular issue. You know, brother, would you pray for me so that I can know if this is the will of God? Making this move is the will of God. Making this change, is that the will of God? Going to this place, is that the will of God? Let me tell you something. You'll never really know the will of God until you have gone through the experience of Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's when you can test and find out the will of God. 
But people get saved and they're going to heaven and they're just living their life and, and they're not really focused on the Lord. They're just living their life and, and they've never dealt with presenting their body as a living sacrifice. Never dealt with that. They never dealt with the rest of, of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then they get this little isolated incident or situation. Oh, I need to know the will of God. You need to know the will of God for your life. You need to be in a position where God can direct you and guide you and show you how he wants to use you. You'll never get there. You'll never get there. You will never have the impact on this world. You'll never have the impact on this age that God wants you to have until you deal with Romans 12, 1 and 2. As a matter of fact, you will end up being swallowed up by this age and be just like the world. Well, why is all this important? Well, let me take you back to Titus chapter 2, where we see that we're supposed to be living with a, a readiness for the return of Christ. And our, our relationship to this world is supposed to be related to my hope for Christ's return. So Paul writes to Titus in Titus 2, verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Praise the Lord for that. Simple terms, anybody can get saved. Anybody can get saved. The Lord Jesus died for the whole world. Anybody can get saved. Now, that grace of God that has brought salvation teaches us. So God ministers to us even once we are saved. So it's not just a matter of, oh, good, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. No, God continues ministering to us. And Paul is going to tell us about the teaching work of the grace of God. And here's what he says in verse 12, teaching us, that's the grace of God, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. I'm going to focus on that for a moment. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to be not conformed to this world as a Christian. And the grace of God that saved me teaches me that I am supposed to deny, that means to reject and to refuse, ungodliness. Anything that is ungodly, anything that isn't putting God first in my life, I'm supposed to refuse and reject. And I'm also supposed to deny, reject, refuse, worldly lust, the desires that are associated with and come out of this world. Those desires I am supposed to refuse. I am, as the verse goes on, I am supposed to live a certain way. So I deny the ungodliness, I reject that, I reject worldly lust. And then it says, we should live soberly, 
righteously, and godly. Now, I want to tell you that's in harmony with Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is how I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to live soberly, serious-minded for God, unaffected uh, by the worldly things, the ungodly things. I'm supposed to live righteously. That means I'm supposed to do right. And you won't do right until you know what is right. But that's what I'm supposed to do. Live righteously. Find out what's right and do it. I am supposed to live godly. I am supposed to give God first place in my life. Now listen. Verse 12, again, I want to read the whole verse. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Here it is. In this present world. What's the term there for world? Age. The world system as it is today. I am supposed to not be conformed to this world, Romans 12, 2. But I am supposed to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and in this present age, I'm supposed to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Well, I suggest to you, you and I cannot do that the way God wants us to do it if we have not presented our bodies a living sacrifice. We cannot what be what we ought to be in this age, this time period right now. We cannot be what we ought to be. We cannot live the way we ought to live if we don't deal with these teachings about how I am supposed to give myself to God, live for God, live holy, refuse the wrong, sell out to the good, doing all of that in this present age, right now in the here and now. You know why we're not having any impact on the world? We're not having any impact on the age? Because Christians have lost sight of who they are and why they're here. And you and I can fall into that trap. Well, here's a motivator. Here's a motivator for us, and it's in verse 13 of Titus 2. After Paul said that the grace of God that brings salvation is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, this present age, he says, verse 13, looking. We should live looking. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. You don't live looking unless you really believe he's coming. And if you really believe he's coming, you're going to reject ungodliness and worldly lust. If you really believe he's coming. If you really believe he's coming, you're not going to be conformed 
to this world. You're not going to be conformed to this age if you really believe he's coming. If you really believe he's coming, you will be a testimony to people of their need of Christ, and you'll want them to see the difference that Christ makes in you because when he comes, you will be taken and they will be left behind. And so he tells us in verse 13 that we are supposed to live looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 14. Who gave himself for us. We saw that reference in Galatians 1 and verse 4. He gave himself for us that he might deliver us, that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Here, verse 14 says, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He might redeem us, rescue us, set us free, deliver us, change us, redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself. Single out for himself. Call for himself a peculiar people. Peculiar means a people of his own. That's what you and I are. We live in this world. We live in this age, but we have been saved and we are the people of God. We uniquely belong to God. And as such, verse 14 goes on and says that we are to be zealous. We should be on fire. We should be fervent. We should be excited about good works. And sometimes we can take that term and just kind of cast it aside. Yeah, works, good works, bad works. No, this means a life of service for him. That's why we're here. Why is all this important? Because again, the church has lost sight of who it is and what it is. And Christians have lost sight of who they are and how they're supposed to live. You and I have been sent to this world, and you and I are living in this age. And this age is getting worse and worse and worse. The things that are happening to destroy the family is a tragedy. And there is pressure coming from the world. But your family doesn't have to be destroyed. There's incredible pressure coming on young people, coming on kids. Uh, the problem with uh, homosexuality being jammed down their throats, the, the forcing of this transgenderism into the schools and into their life and all these things, kids having to deal with that kind of thing. But listen, your kids don't have to go that way. Uh, but we get confused. Christians get confused. I had a man say to me the other day that he, he had a boy, a son, and that his son told him, told his daddy, that he wondered 
about whether or not he was uh, a girl and uh, or whether he was uh, gay. And his dad's response to him was something like this. Well, you're, you're not of an age where you need to be making that kind of a decision, and I'm not going to tell you uh, what decision to make, but and I thought, wait a minute, wait, what are we doing? What are we doing? How are we being sucked into this worldliness, this ungodliness, and we're afraid to stand up and speak the truth? This boy has has feelings. I told this daddy, look, we don't go by feelings as Christians. We measure our feelings by the Bible. And when we find that our feelings are in conflict with what the Bible says, we reject our feelings and we stand by the Bible. But you see, we're we're living in a situation where the world is infecting the church instead of the church impacting the world. We're being taken in. We're being defeated. We're being destroyed. But we are here not to be taken in. We are here to be a witness. We are here to be a testimony. We are not here that long. This is not home for us. Heaven is home. Christ is coming back. We need to take a look. Why am I here? What am I doing? And we need to sell out to Christ. Some listening today don't even have the slightest idea what God wants them to do or how they're supposed to live or, or, or what work they're supposed to be involved in because they're saved, but they've never surrendered all to the Lord. Well, I want to tell you something. We will never have any impact on the world generally. Uh, I think that's gone. But we will not have impact on the individuals around us unless we know who we are, what we believe, why we are here, and we ourselves submit to the scriptures, start living the way we're supposed to live, and then and then alone will we live pleasing to God and having impact on people. Lord bless you till next time.